Well, we've been in uh, the book of Acts uh, today, and probably next week we're taking a brief hiatus. Um, We're looking this morning at Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3, you'll find that in your bulletins, uh, but you can also find that in the Pew Bibles on page 494. 494. Um, This is something I've been doing my Bible study in Ezra for the last several weeks, and um, the Lord just put this on my heart, and I felt called to share it uh, with you. Before we read God's Word, let's, let's pray and ask for His help. Father, we ask for Your help. Uh, help us, Lord, as we look at a, a text um, out of a different part of the Bible we've been in a while. Give us understanding. Thank You for the call to be faithful to You. Uh, Father, I pray that You would uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Grant unction and anointing to the preacher and hearer alike. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, reading Ezra 3, starting at verse 1. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the, the son of Josadok, with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings of the new moon, and all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. This is the next year, verse 8. Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen and priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel." And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and head of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. So the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we turn to Your Word, give us unction and anointing. Help us, Lord, as we think about what it means to be faithful to You. 
the name of Jesus. Amen. The Christian life has always been one of tension. One of tension. I don't mean conflict between different parties, though that may be part of it. I mean that there are often different competing emotions in the Christian life that are often opposite one of the other. To our English teachers here, this is called juxtaposition. That's what that is. All right, so here's some examples. What do I mean by this? Well, Christian death is perhaps one of the greatest examples. We've had connected to our church for five funerals in the last month. We have many people who are mourning, and the Lord has taken home several men and women to be with Him, all of whom were believers, praise God. On the one hand, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that death is still our enemy. It is still our enemy. Something that will continue to be the case until Christ comes again. And yet, for the Christian, to die means to be ushered into the very presence of God. Do you see those two things in tension? There are others. Uh, Christ has taken away not just the guilt of sin, but also its power. God has defeated the power of sin over us. And yet, the day-to-day walk as a Christian is full of fighting sin that feels really powerful, doesn't it? Fierce temptations from within and without. We can talk about the kingdom of God. Christ came and brought the kingdom of God... He ushered it, inaugurated. This is what Christ came to proclaim. The the kingdom of God is here. This is what He kept saying. Repent and believe. And yet, it's not fully and finally here, is it? Right, Because until Christ returns, we live in a time in which not just good happens, but also bad happens. And yet we learn that Christ really is on the throne. He really is in control. And if He's not, wouldn't that just be terrible? Theologians call this the now and the not yet, or the already and the not yet. For the Christian, oftentimes it is a life of tension. I believe, help my unbelief. You know, we aren't the first ones to grapple with these sources of tension. In fact, the text that we're looking at today as God's people return to the land of Israel and they seek to establish, uh, reestablish the worship of the Lord, there's plenty of tension here. And what we, what we see in the Christian life in this text and in our lives in general throughout the Bible is rarely is the resolution of that tension. What does God call us to? He calls us to faithfulness. He calls us to walk faithfully before Him in the seasons in which He calls us, even when we can't seem to figure it all out. I don't know what season God has you walking through. I know some of your seasons. Some seasons are harder than others, aren't they? What is God's call in every season of life? It is to walk faithfully with Him. Why? Because He has been faithful to us. Okay, so what's, what in the world is going on in Ezra 3? We've, we've gone back in time a long way from Acts, haven't we? A lot, lot happens between now and Acts. Jesus comes, that's a pretty big deal, right? His death, burial, and resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the ingathering of the Gentiles, the building of the church. We're about 590 years before Paul's life at this point. We've gone back pretty far away. Well, you'll remember uh, that... The nation of Israel was divided in 930 B.C. The northern kingdom known as Israel was very ungodly and it lasted about 200 years. 
The Assyrians came, God sent them in 722, and they never came back, by the way. The southern kingdom, known as Judah, had a mixed history of good and bad kings, and they lasted longer. But increasingly, they grew more and more ungodly. And so God, after warning them lots of times, sent the Babylonians, the more bad guys over here, Mr. Shine, sent him and destroyed the temple, the altar, the walls, the city of Jerusalem, and carted a great many of those in Judah off to exile. That was in 586 B.C. So God's people had been living a life of oppression in foreign lands, but God had told them forever. God had told them before it wouldn't last forever. Seventy years would be the number of years of exile. And so God moved in the heart of a pagan king, the Persian. Persians took over Babylon. The Persian king Cyrus to let his people go. Does that sound familiar? To let his people go we might call the second exodus, and even actually offering and ordering the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem at expense of the kingdom. But this introduces our first point of attention. Cyrus and God said, go. Cyrus even told the neighbors of these Israelites, hey, give them a bunch of gold so they can rebuild and make sacrifices for us. It's what God's people have been waiting for. And yet we find in Ezra 2, not everybody went home. 42,360 people left. Now that sounds like a lot. That is a lot. But it's far less than who lived in exile. Besides that, the land to which they returned was not the powerhouse of self-government with the Davidic king that they thought would happen. Instead, they, they, will, serve at the, they will live at the pleasure of the Persian king, a bad king, and then successively, more kingdoms will come in and out, the, 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 um, the Greeks and then the Romans, right? The territory was only 20 by 25 miles. It was a small area. You know, the tension is that God's people probably said a lot, a lot of them probably said, when we get to go home, we're going And then it was time to go home, and not everybody went. This is the tension of God's people, and always has been, Old Testament and New. There is the visible church, those who claim to be Christians, and then those who don't know the Lord. It was a mixed group. What is is God's call to us, even now? You know, we, we see the evangelical world around us. It's, it's splintered in many ways. You have many who say they follow Jesus, and yet you look at what they believe, and it, it doesn't line up with what the Bible says. What are, we, what are we called to do? It's so easy to focus on others without focusing on ourselves, isn't it? It's kind of like when I read the, Bible, I read the law of God the other day, and I called up somebody and said, you know, I was reading the Ten Commandments, and it made me think of you. <laughs> right? that's, that's a lot of times how we read these things, isn't it? What is God's call to us? It is faithfulness. It is faithfulness. This is what God had called to the people who were turning to the promised land. Amidst all those who didn't, don't focus on them. Focus on me. Focus on God. The season I've called you to, be faithful in it. So this faithful remnant returned to Judah. 
And very soon uh, after returning, they came together as one man, as the text says, to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem had been destroyed. It was in ruins, right? The walls had been torn down. It, the walls would stay torn down for about another hundred years. The walls had been torn down. Houses were in ruin. But most of all, the temple of God had been destroyed and the altar was no more. I would imagine they all had plenty to do in their towns. This was an agricultural society. And so when you move in an agricultural society, you have to find seed. You have to start planting. You have to uh, clear out the fields. You have to figure out a place to live where all the people who are still living there, they had a lot to do. And yet what were they intent on doing? Being faithful to what God had called them to do. And so they all went as one man to Jerusalem to do this thing they'd been told to do. And they said that they would do. They gathered at an important time. It was the seventh month. And this was the month in which the Day of Atonement happened. Perhaps you don't remember what the Day of Atonement is. The Day of Atonement was the highest, holiest day on the church calendar of the Jews. And it was the day in which the high priest would take the blood into the Holy of Holies, the inside part of the temple... And he would sprinkle the blood, first for himself and then for Israel, for the forgiveness of sins on what? The Ark of the Covenant. First, the animal would be sacrificed, right? And then, then later, it would, there were sacrifices that would be burned. But here's the thing. The temple's not there and the altar's not there. The altar where they would burn the sacrifices to God. They are coming to be faithful. And yet, there's tension because there's no altar and there's no temple. And in fact, the Ark of the Covenant would never come back. Did you know that? According to Indiana Jones, it's in a warehouse somewhere. (laughs) So what did God's people do? They sought to faithfully walk with God, to worship God, as they were able to do so in their season. They're serious in this season about restarting the worship of God in the place of God. Let's back up and think about a principle here. God calls you to be faithful to Him in the season to which He has called you. At Joe Eversole's funeral, I mentioned how she had acclimated her life to assisted living. Do you know many people who end up in nursing homes and assisted living and who like it? I can name about five. And Joe Eversole's at the top of it, right? She loved the assisted living place. She blossomed there. She adjusted to her season of life. Was the Lord calling her in her season of life to be a VBS volunteer? No. Was the Lord calling her in that season of life to be on the ladies' ministry list? No. What was the Lord calling her to do? To be faithful to Him as a shut-in. We could say the same about Miss Iris, about Miss Betty, right? About all those. Miss Marjorie, right? Jean Weaver. I find that there are few seasons in my life that I would have orchestrated as such. Do you have those? Right? Even in good seasons, there are always things that I would change. And yet we're not in charge of what comes to us. Did you know that? <laughs> we try hard, don't we? But the reality is we have very little control over our lives. Far less than we think we do. What is our response to be in the good times and the bad? It is faithfulness to the Lord. Loving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving each other as ourself. What, 
What season has God called you to? I know some of your seasons. I don't know them all. I don't know what season God has called you to, but I do know what God has called you to in your season. And that's just simply to keep following after Him. And sometimes that means putting one foot in front of the other, doesn't it? There's tension here. There's more tension. See, there's tension here because even as they come together to rebuild the altar, which they do, they're faithful to that, so they might reintroduce sacrifices to God. There's tension here because does this mean for the last 49 years when there's been no altar, does that mean everybody went to hell? It's a fair question, isn't it? The altar was destroyed in 586, right here we're at uh, 537 B.C. Does, does that mean that everybody went to hell because there was no altar for sacrifices? No, that's not what that means. Because, see, the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament never took away sin. In fact, they pointed them and they point us to the perfect Lamb of God, Christ. And it's through His blood that both Old Testament and New Testament saints are saved. We know this because of Hebrews chapter 10, 4. It says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. We're not bulls and goats. Did you know? We're not bulls and goats. There had to be a sacrifice like us, a perfect sacrifice, Behold the Lamb of God who, takes away, who comes to take away the sin of the world. So there was tension. Even as they rebuilt the altar, it was looking forward to a better moment when Christ would come to lay down His life for us. Ephesians 1 says, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption. How is this redemption found? Through His blood. You know, even now... We know so much more than the Old Testament saints did, don't we? We know so much more. They look forward to Christ's coming, right? We look back to the fact that He has come and look forward again to Him coming again. But even now, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we look through a glass darkly or a mirror dimly. There's still tension in our lives because God has not told us everything. He's given us everything we need, though. And a lot of times in seasons of tension, in seasons of hardship, we think, I don't have enough to get to tomorrow or the next day or the next month. Have, have you been there before? But let me tell you something. We sang it earlier, great is thy faithfulness. Right? These new morning mercies that we have in God. Guess, guess when God gives us grace for tomorrow? It's not today. It's tomorrow. God has given us everything we need. 2 Peter 1 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All, he's given us all things that we need for life and godliness. You have it. Now, you don't have it in yourself. If you look to yourself, you're going to fall down. You're going to stumble. God's grace is sufficient. It is sufficient. How? Through the knowledge of Him, Christ, who called us to His own glory and excellence. You know, it can be so easy to get sidetracked by the tension around us. It can. Lord, I don't understand. Why is this happening? Why another thing? Why this? Why that? It's so easy to get sidetracked by those things. You know, as we think about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, certainly that refers to death itself, but also through seasons of darkness, of the lonely, scary places. It can be so easy to look at those walls. They're really tall and scary and deep. Instead of looking upon whom? Our Savior. You don't have to be afraid, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
See, what is our focus meant to be on? It's supposed to be on Jesus, redeemed by His blood, reconciled by His sacrifice. As the beloved children of God, we can trust that in the, good, in the midst of seasons of tension, transition, hardship, that there is no tension for our God. The tension is on our side, not from God's side. We look at things and we try to reconcile these things. You said you'd provide for me, but I'm struggling every day. Right? You said you'd get me through this, but Lord, I feel like I'm just barely scraping by. There's no tension from God's side. The tension is from our side. And guess what? The God who promises you these things is your good and loving Father. Let's look back at our text. Look at verse 3. They set altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offering on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. <laughs> did you notice the conditions in which they build the altar? Did you, did you see this? Why? For fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. Now, it, the oppositions can get really fierce so much so that they'll actually stop the, product of the uh, building of the temple pretty soon. For 10 to 15 years, there will be a gap in which no work is done. It's going to be another 20 years before the temple is finally completed in 516 B.C. But instead of running away, hear this, hear this. Instead of running away in the midst of opposition, what do they do? They ran towards God. They were afraid. Have you ever been afraid? Woken in the night, afraid? Your heart unsettled, afraid? Where do we run? What did they do? They ran to God. Now, I don't know if this fear was like the sinful kind of fear or if this was the there's a snake in front of you so you better be concerned and run away kind of fear. I think either one of those would fit, right? I don't know which one it was. I don't know if it was sinful fear or, oh, those guys are coming to get us. Help us. But either way, they ran to God. And this is what we do. We're faithful. We're faithful. This is what God calls you to. In the midst of this season of whatever you're in, God calls you to run towards Him not away from Him. You know, instead, a lot of times we run to a lot of different things first. My father, uh, I would call, I've, I've said this before, I don't have many stories. In college, I'd call him, I'd be scared about something, and, and he would stop and say, Parker, have you prayed about it? And I would start to think about the 10, 15 other people I've talked to, and I still hadn't talked to God about it. Surely you know that struggle too, right? There was tension in the culture around them, the world. The world was in opposition to them. They were opposed to them being faithful to God. And guess this, they didn't just build the temple and leave. I mean, excuse me, build the altar and leave. They, they built the temple and they stayed. They celebrated the festival of booths, the feast of booths, or, or tabernacles, or tents, depending on your translation. And that took a week. So they're camping around Jerusalem while they're afraid of all the people around them. What do they do? They camped out around God. They sought Him, and not just a one-time thing. There was tension in their culture, right? The culture wanted them not to be faithful to God, and that's certainly true today. There's tension in our culture. Students, you feel this tension at school with your friends, don't you? They want you to do something besides what your parents want, what your God wants. You feel that tension, don't you? And sometimes there's a cost to that tension, Sometimes there's a big cost. What does God call you to? To be faithful to Him. I exhort you, be faithful to Him. Adults, how many times you work, face us at work, at the ball field, in retirement, amongst your own family, or even just setting priorities for your family? There's so much tension there. 
I exhort you, remain faithful to the Lord. And it may be costly, but in losing your life, you will find it. And God will not abandon you. He didn't in this text, and He will not abandon you. Well, as we move along, we move to the next year, 536 B.C. That was 537, now we're at 536. Uh, the next year they come together and they're going to rebuild the temple now. They're going to start the process of it. They come back and the priests have been performing their daily sacrifices morning and evening. They've been celebrating the different festivals of the Lord. Uh, there's now daily public worship of God. It has been restored. This is a big deal. It is awesome that they were faithful to do this. It would have been a great time of celebrations. But there was no temple still. There was an altar and then the ruins of the temple. What were they going to do? Well, they send for materials. And they come together and they pay the money to the carpenters with food and whatnot. And now it is finally time to build the foundation. It is built, and at the end of it there is a dedication service, verse 11. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the Lord was laid. What a day of rejoicing this would have been having been brought out of exile, living amongst God's enemies, brought in, they've built the altar, now the foundation of the temple is laid. Surely this thing's going to be done soon. They rejoice and celebrate God's steadfast love, not just directed towards anybody, but towards them. Did you see that? This, as far as this is the only place that I know of, let's not say there aren't other places, the only place that I know of, we read this line, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And that's all over the Old Testament. This is the only place that I know of that tacks on the end toward Israel. Now, if you know one of those, another place, please tell me. You know, God has a special love for his people. His steadfast love. And where do we see his steadfast, never-changing, always and forever love? Where do we see that best on display? It is at the cross. See, they had reason to rejoice that the temple was being rebuilt. Don't we have all the more? They had the shadow. We have the reality. They had the prophecy. We had the fulfillment. They looked to what was to come. We looked to what has happened. But there's tension here. For even in the midst of this rejoicing, we see in verse 12, But many of the priests and Levites and head of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted for joy. This is about 50 years after the destruction of the first temple. So there were many who remembered what the first one looked like, and the first one was awesome. We don't know the dimensions of this one. We're not told. But apparently it was a lot smaller, and it wasn't going to be nearly as nice. And so they looked at this thing, and they mourned for what had been true in the past. They cried. They wailed. This was not a polite cry. And you couldn't tell one for the other the rejoicing and the wailing there's tension here, even as they celebrate. When there's tension in our lives, when we're in a hard season, when we're in a good season, what does God's call to us is to be faithful. The temple would be finally constructed, finally finished in about 20 years, 516 B.C. It was God's designated place of worship, the place of His special presence on earth. It was indeed a little bit of heaven on earth. But here's the thing, there's tension even with it because the temple was always meant to be temporary. It's always meant to be temporary. It was like getting one of those modular classrooms, you know, when a, a school is being built. It's just temporary. The temple was always temporary. 
It was never meant to be permanent. It pointed to the coming of Christ. See, the temple is where God dwelt with His people. We read in John 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, who is that? That is Christ. He is God. And He dwelt. He dwelt among us. What does that mean? That word actually in the Greek is tabernacle. He tabernacled with us. He templed with us. God came to earth. And then God went back. I mean, He's still here, but in His special presence. And uh, Christ returned home to heaven. And then He sent His Holy Spirit with us. So, so do you see how the, the old was pointing to the new? So Christ returned, and then He would send us even greater presence. As the Holy Spirit now has been sent in power amongst all believers. And now we are the temple of God. The temple used to be a place. Now it is a people. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? But y'all, it's still not complete. There's still tension because we're looking forward to another day, a day that has not come yet. We read of that day when Christ returns in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. We will live forever with God in the new heavens and the new earth. So how do we land this plane? How do we conclude? The Christian life is full of tension. And if you feel like that's just you, that's not. There are a lot of times that we like and a lot of times we don't. But when we live in times of tension, what does God call us to? Faithfulness to Him. And that which He requires of us, He gives us the ability to do. He who calls you is faithful. He, who will do it? Who will do it? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So think about tension. There's one thing I can tell you that there is no tension in, and that is that your Father loves you. Your Father loves you. Christ paid for your sins, and now He grants strength and help in time of need. And as He does so, we seek to be faithful to Him, no matter what tomorrow holds. Let's pray. Father, we pray for faithfulness, that You would give us that faithfulness that continues to seek after You. And when we falter, and when we sin, and when we fail, O Lord, may we be quick to return to You. We thank You that even when we are faithless, Your Word tells us that You remain faithful because You cannot deny Yourself. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.